If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who work all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were first, sorry, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with a promise, were sealed with a promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance unto until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know that which is the hope of which he has called you. What are the riches of his glory, glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great mind, that he walked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authorities and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, who is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of God. Good morning. Good to see you guys. Um, this is the fifth, uh, fifth, fifth of our uh, six messages in the series called Unlimited. And if you're kind of wanting to know more, like you want to investigate some of these attributes of God. Uh, more so, there's a few books I want to recommend. Uh, the first one here is a book called The Knowledge of the Holy Attributes of God. If that book looks dated, that's because it is dated. But here's the thing, the attributes of God don't change, so it's all right. So that's a great, great book. It's a classic. Another classic is a book called Knowing God by um, J.I. Packer. And if you kind of want to know where, like the, the very beginning of where this series came from, it came from this book by this woman named uh, Jen Wilkin, which is a fairly new book. Um, <clears throat> the subtitle, you, which you probably can't read, says, 10 Ways God is Different from Us. And uh, it's a great, it's a great book. She's a great author. She, she's written many other great books as well. So you check her out. But uh, so that's really what our series is about. Uh, it's about exploring ways that God is not like us, that God is not like us. And today we're going to talk about God's unlimited power. And which, it, you know, if you're new to your body, if you're not new to your if you know, you know God's power, I mean, that's kind of an obvious one. I mean, uh, the, the, the name, uh, God is called the Almighty 58 times uh, in the Bible. He's referred to as the Almighty. The, the theological word is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. He's all-potent. Uh, he has all power. Um, he, has, he is unlimited, which means that he is unlimited in both his ability, he, he, he has the ability to do whatever he wants, and he has the authority to do whatever he wants. He has the ability to do whatever he wants, 
He has authority to do whatever he wants. You and I have some ability. I mean, we see it on stage every week. I mean, these guys are so gifted with musically, and there's gifting. You have gifting. I mean, there's gifted teachers, there's gifted businessmen, uh, businesswomen, women, uh, designers, all kinds. I mean, just lots. Of, you, you have ability. You can run, you can jump, you can do different things. But there is a limit to our ability. Um, I play basketball pretty much every week. And in my mind, one of my favorite players is Steph Curry. And in my mind, I, I play just like him. And, uh, but in reality, I play just like you probably think I play. And with shame on you for that. And so, but I, I play almost every Saturday and I, and I do okay. But, but, but the problem is, is like everyone else there is about 40 years old as well. So we're old. And, um, and um, I think there's like one guy over six foot. And, uh, you know, everyone's like taped up, you know, duct tape everywhere just because our bodies are destroyed from all the years of being overconfident in our ability. <laughs> our ability is limited. My ability is limited in a lot of places. I kind of need to get a, a handle on it. I have this overconfidence in, in kind of home remodeling and taking on house projects. You know, one year I got a socket set for Christmas, watched three home makeover shows. I'm like, okay, I can do this. And, uh, but there's a limit in my ability too. And, but I'm, still, I'm remodeling my, my kitchen and uh, my wife's, you know, she kind of put, she's like, hey, if you finish it by this certain day, I'll get a tattoo with your name on it. And, um, and I was like, it's okay, it's on, because, you know, I can do this. And she gave me like, she, she gave me like two weeks longer than I thought I could get it done, which I haven't gotten it done yet. So, and, uh, and someone was like, do you even want, a, do, do you want your wife to even have a tattoo? And I was like, well, yeah, you know, like, I know we've been married 18 years. I know she's got a ring. I know we've got three kids, but a tattoo, that's like, she's like permanently mine. And then my, then my 11-year-old son, who's like this, he's very literal. He says, well, she could just marry another Brian. And I'm like, I'm like well, whose side are you on? Anyway, I'm discovering there is a limit to my ability. There's a limit to your ability. You, you can't run as fast as you want to run. You can't, you can't jump as high as you want to jump. You can't, live, you can't live as long as you want to live. Um, you're capped. Your ability is capped. There's only so much you can do. God is not capped. He is unlimited in his ability. This shows up in creation. I mean, he just speaks the world into existence. You think about the universe and, and the stars and the sun and how powerful they all are. Well, he spoke those things into existence. In fact, when he created the world in day one, he said, let there be light. Well, there wasn't a sun until day four, but the light, the universe was bright from his power, even without the sun. And both the Bible and scientists tell you that one day the world will, or excuse me, the one day, the, well, the world too, but the sun will stop existing. But we know that the, there will still be brightness because of his power. His power is on display. His power is on display on how he delivered his people from uh, the Egyptians, getting them out of, 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 of bondage through many miracles. And Jesus walked the earth, many miracles. And of course, the biggest one of all is when he raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus' accusers put him on a cross because they, they wanted to be done with him. And you know, they would have taken, hey, you know, put him in prison, that's great. But in the grave, I mean, he's done for. And, and the devil was all excited too. He's like, I've been trying to get rid of this guy for 33 years. And now he's in a grave. It's over with. But God said, it's not over. I want my dead son to live. And he rose him from the dead. His power, his ability to do what he wants. He has the ability to do what he wants. He doesn't just have the ability to do what he wants. He has the authority and you and I figure out authority about when we hit teenage years. Because something happens when we are a teenager, you know, where we think to ourselves, okay, I'm no longer two feet off the ground. I've solved an algebra problem. I know how to make toes. So obviously, I can stomp around this place like I own it. 
But then maybe your parents invited you to show you the deed of the house, and your name was not, in fact, on that deed. And then maybe they showed you all the bills that they pay, you know, the grocery bill, the mortgage, the electric, the, the, the internet, the gas, and all these bills, and they showed you your bank account. And your bank account was pale in comparison to all the bills that they pay, not just once, but every single month. You realize you don't have the authority to stomp around. Like, and then you became a 16, and now you got a driver's license. Now I can't go what I want. I, but then there's speed limits, and there's curfews. And then you get a job, you get that first paycheck, and you're thinking, now I can, I can do what I want. I can go places, I can buy things. But then the IRS says, I'll take part of that. And your boss tells you what to do. You, can, you, can, you show up here, and you can leave here. And then, and then as you get older, you just realize more and more and more and more as you get older that there's authority over you, that there's always an authority over you. And even if somehow you're able to escape most of human authority, death still presides over you. And his chains are permanent and unyielding. God is not bound by any authority. He has unlimited authority. God is unlimited in power. He's unlimited in his ability. He is unlimited in his authority. And I haven't told you the best part yet because perhaps knowing that God is powerful isn't all that comforting. To know that someone out there has absolute power, he has absolute ability and authority may not be all that comforting because as human beings, we don't handle power very well. People tend to abuse the power that they do have. They tend to hoard that power. They tend to use it for selfish gains. We're very, very suspicious, in fact, of people in power. We have been for some time. That's why in the creation of the United States, and actually a lot of countries do the same thing, is that we created a democracy. And, and you know, so we, we can limit how much power one person can get. And, you know, it has its weaknesses. But when you think about, you know, the three branches of government, the Constitution, all these different things, it's a kind of a, a pretty good system. It's probably the best that mankind can do. But even with a system that's designed to keep people from abusing power, we still find a way to do it. The heart is insidious. It, it, it sneaks around, and it, it, it takes the power, any power that it can have, and it begins to abuse it. And I, I, I've traveled to many different countries, and um, man, I think America is a great country, but you look back in our past, and there's some really ugly examples. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind, it comes to all of our minds, is, I mean, the slavery, racism, one race abusing, exerting its power over another race. And for years, not many people doing much about it. That same level of, that same, uh, the many ways that racism, that, that abuse of power exists today among races. And if you're someone who doesn't think, well, there's, that doesn't exist, you're probably not aware of just how insidious and evil the heart can be. It has a way of, of abusing it. And we, we see that in parents, parents abusing their authority, uh, people in you know, uh, governments, um, uh, armies, police, uh, people abuse authority. People, uh, men and physical strength, people who have economic power abuse that power. They try to keep it for themselves. They try to abuse other people. So we're, you know, excuse us if we feel a little bit skeptical of someone, something that has unlimited power. So maybe, just maybe, depending on where you come from and your experiences, knowing that God has unlimited power may not, may not be all encouraging, which is why Paul wants you to know and what I want you to know that according to Ephesians 1, God's power is for us. 
God has unlimited power, and that power is for us. In fact, he wants us to have a spirit of revelation to discern, to be able to discern the difference between uh, power that can be abusive and power that can be, that is for our good. He wants us to know that. He wants to know that in our heads. We want to know it in our heart. And then this is how he describes his power. It's so amazing. In verse 19, let me show you this. It says, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. And that word immeasurable, many commentators say that Paul is being grammatically excessive. He's being grammatically excessive. That word immeasurable mean, is the Greek word hyperpalo, hyperbalo. And the, and the word uh, for, for greatness is the word megathos, which I know sounds like some 1980s heavy metal band, you know, megathos. And um, and then the word for power is, is dynamos, where we get our word dynamite. That he's saying that God God has this hyper mega dynamite. His power is hyper mega dynamite. Which you know the emotions got over Paul. You know so, you know like sometimes when your emotion gets over you, you kind of you know because he's usually pretty articulate, and the articulate Paul becomes like a second grader in explaining the power of God. He's basically saying his power is super duper awesome. Like that's his power. It's it's hyper mega dynamite. It's it's just explosive thing that when you get a hold of it. And you know that it's for you, could absolutely change your life. But Paul doesn't just want us to know it in an abstract way. He wants us to know that it's for us, that his power, his unlimited power and his ability is for us. And it's in, in, in three different ways that it's, it's in our past, it's in our present, and it's in our future, that we are surrounded by the love of God. We can first see God's power in our life in the fact that we believe. Let me show you. Uh, again, the, these two verses. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Paul is saying that if you believe in Christ Jesus, it's only through his great power. The only reason why you believe, if you believe in Jesus, the only reason why you believe is because of his great power. So if you believe, you can look back with confidence in knowing that his power was at work. And it's not just, you know, just a little bit of power. It was the same power that raised Christ from the dead. The same power that, that was able to take a dead man out of the grave is the same power that raised you and I cold dead hearts to believe. You don't believe because you thought about it one, oh, I got a great idea, I'll follow. Nobody seeks God. Nobody, in fact, that's what we, we, Paul says to, to the Romans in Romans 3, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. Jesus said something very similar in his God, in the gospel, John, John 6, no one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. No one's seeking God. We think, oh, I know a lot of people seeking God, a lot of people going to church. There's a lot of people seeking stuff from God which is a lot different than seeking God. A lot of people are seeking created things, not the creator. People will say, God, if you do this for me, I'll trust and believe in you. But if that's your deal, you're not really seeking him. You're using him. He's not Lord to you. He's a resource. And you're putting yourself on the throne. And as soon as he does something that you don't like, you fire him. He's not on the throne. You don't have him on the throne. You have him on retainer. And when he doesn't meet your standard, you get rid of him because he has no use to you. You're not seeking him. You're seeking his stuff. And he didn't come through for you, so you fire him. Lots of people look like they're seeking God, but they're not seeking God. 
However, this morning, if you truly like, uh, you truly want God, that only happens because God's power was at work in your life. No, only the only people who see God are they see God by the power of God. They enable you to believe, and if you you need to see that. If you don't see that, of course you're robbing God of glory, but you're also robbing yourself of peace and security, and, and you have anxiousness and you have doubt because you're, you're denying that it took the power of God for you to believe in the first place. It should lead us to worship. I mean, you come in here, and, and maybe you're hesitant to worship. You see you know, people raising their hands, and you kind of want to, and you get about, you know, you get, but you don't. Because you're like, you do, yeah, I had a bad week and I feel like a phony. Well, you, it wasn't about you in the first place. It's all about him and what he's done for you. It's his power that raised you up. It wasn't you, it was him. You're not capable of wanting God. So let me encourage you. If you are afraid, even if you doubt and you're afraid that you lost connection with God, I just want to, I want you to know that you have connection with God. The fact that you're worried that you're going to lose connection is proof that you have connection. If you want, if, you want, if you're afraid that somehow you've let go of who God is, I just want you to know that you have a hold of him. Let me say it in a better way. He has a hold of you. Because it's only by his power that we believe. So we can relax. We can trust in his sovereign power. And that doesn't mean we become complacent. No, we, we forget what lies behind and we pursue him. But we don't pursue him with a sense of, of anxiousness and worry but a sense, a settledness that God is at work in my life. God's power has caused me to believe, and I can have confidence because it's not just that his power is at work in our past. His power is work in our present. Let me show you Ephesians 1, verses 13 to 14. It says, and you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, talking about the past, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked with him in a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the, re- until the redemption of those who are God's possession. Now, you may be thrown off when it says until the redemption, because you're like, well, are, am I already redeemed? You just said that we believe that we've been saved. We've been saved from sin. Isn't that true? Well, yes, it is true. Um, what may be helpful in understanding how the power of God works, God's power works in your past, your present, and your future, which means that there is a, pa- there is a, aspect, there's a past aspect of your salvation, there's a present aspect, and there's a future aspect. We have been saved in the past from the penalty of sin. We are being saved right now from the power of sin, and we will one day be saved from the presence of sin. We have been saved in the past from the penalty of sin. When you become a Christian, um, um, the penalty of sin is gone. There is a pardon. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. The penalty of sin is completely gone, eradicated in the moment you become a Christian. But the presence of sin still exists. When the fall happened, anger came in the world, wrath came in the world, murder came in the world, um, lying and she, all sin came into the world, those things still exist, don't they? The presence of sin is still there. You look in your own life, and there's a battle. You, you don't want to sin, but you still sin. There's the power of sin still present in your life. He is currently saving you from the power, but he has not yet saved you fully from the presence of sin. That will happen one day. Revelation 21 talks about a day where there's no tears, no death. And that's why, as Christians, we need to have a very robust theology of heaven. 
Because if we don't, if we don't have the hope of heaven, we'll think that, that our lives aren't what they need to be because bad things happen here. But God says that our full redemption, that we have a, a deposit now, but our full redemption happens in the future. And if we have a underdeveloped theology of heaven, what's called an eschatology, if we have an underdeveloped uh, theology of heaven, we'll have an over-desire for what heaven promises now, which means that we're not going to get it now. We're not going to get it all now. We're gonna, there's a life to come. And so we can endure in this life because we have a hope of a heaven, which is a lot longer than the 80-year window we have here. I mean, forever is a really long time. And what happens, and this is a great pitfall of what's known as the prosperity gospel and the social gospel. They, they want all of heaven to happen here now, but it won't happen here now. It's going to happen in the future. Now, we pray for heaven to come to heaven, excuse me, we pray for heaven to come to earth now, but it won't fully come now because it'll happen in the future. And so this gives us, it makes us buoyant when we go through difficult times and we see the presence of sin all around us. I still see racism. I still see, see uh, things deteriorating. You know, the, everything's going south. The, the environment's getting, all these things are getting bad. So in our fight for justice, in our fight um, for the kingdom to advance, we will see success, but we won't see fullness success. We'll never get there until that day. Well, he will bring full redemption. He will bring full salvation. The presence of sin will be completely eradicated. But, but, and this is, I tell and say this, this power that one day is going to kill all the sin in you and it's going to kill all the death and all the disease and all the, that's what's wrong in the world. That same power, he has put a deposit in you now. And that power is at work in you now. It, that word deposit really means first installment that we get a taste of heaven now. And that power is working at you, making you and molding you and shaping you into something, which means that we should never settle. We should never settle for a lesser life than the life that God puts out in front of us. That's why in Matthew 18, Jesus says that we need to believe like little children. And when you, when you, when you go ask a second grader, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? They're just full of optimism. I mean, they just say the craziest thing. I mean, they're just like, I'm going to be an astronaut. I'm going to be a billion gazillionaire. I mean, just say all this stuff like that. Now, you ask a 20-year-old, what are they going to be? Um, if they start shooting for the moon, I mean, when they're a second grader, it's cute. When they're 20, we think, hey, you need some therapy. Like, there's like, <laughs> like, and then, of course, when you get older, it, it doesn't get better. Um, you get even more pessimistic about life. And what Jesus says, you, uh, you need to have the perspective you need to believe like a child. You go back to second grade when you're like, anything is possible. And in, in, in our, you see what happens when we get older, we realize we become very, very aware of our own weakness and our own lack of ability to do anything. And, and, and that's a good thing in a human sense, but what we shouldn't, so we should have a, a lower, lower view of our ability. But what Jesus says, when it comes to my ability, you need to be like a child. You need to believe. You should never settle. You should never, you see, Esau settled. Remember Esau, Esau in the Bible? Esau and Jacob, he was the older son of Isaac, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And it should have been Abraham, Isaac, Esau, but Esau sold his birthright. 
He gave it up. He came in one day. He was, he was super hungry. Jake, Jacob was good in the kitchen. He cooked him a meal. And Esau said, I want, give me some soup. And Jacob was shrewd. He said, sell, I'll sell it to you. He's like, give me, give me your birthright. He's like, what good is my birthright if I starve to death? And he didn't know what was in him. And he settled for a mess of soup. Here's what I know. All of us settle for something. I want to know what you're selling for. You're just giving away. You're giving up on the power of God that's working in you, making, you have no idea who God can make you to be. You have no idea what's inside of you. The same power that raised Christ from the dead and the same power that's going to right every wrong It's going to wipe away every tear. It's going to eradicate disease, war, death, all of that. That same power is at work in you, molding you and shaping you into something. It's not just in our past and our present. It's in our future. You know, I don't know if this kind of struck you odd, but it said that that God is going, God is setting, is putting everything under his feet. And I'm sitting there thinking, I'm like, well, wasn't everything already under his feet? Wasn't he already in charge? I mean, isn't Jesus God? Isn't he in control? Isn't he, doesn't he have? Yes, but this is a specific commission. The Father has put all things under his feet, and he is putting all things under his feet. And what he's talking about, he's saying that he will complete his redemption. It's what we were talking about earlier, that we, we live in a world where, um, yes, we have been saved from the penalty of sin, and there's, there's a way that we are getting victory over the power of sin, but the presence of sin is still all around us. In fact, it doesn't seem like it's getting better. It's getting worse. God wants you to know that his power is at work to complete that redemption that he is putting all things under his feet. Now, we can always see that because we see what we see in front of us, the good and the bad, and we don't see that God is doing that. I mean, a great Bible example of this is Joseph. Uh, if you remember Joseph, he was, the, um, he was the guy with the multicolored coat that he got from his dad because he was the favorite son um, of you know, one of 12. And when you are the favorite son, you, it causes jealousy. Now, Joseph was not very smart in what he said, uh, but his brothers got jealous. They threw him in a pit. They sold him into slavery, and it just got worse from there. He got into prison. He helped a guy out in prison. He said, remember me. All you have to do is remember my name. He didn't remember his name, and he stayed in prison for another 12 years. And he's just thinking, man, what do I have to do to get a break? I'm, all these bad things keep happening, keep happening, keep happening. Well, he finally makes it into Pharaoh's uh, good graces, and he ends up saving not only Egypt, but really all the, the land around and his brothers finally come back in Genesis 50. They're just like, man, we are so sorry. He says, hey, don't worry about it. If God would have answered my prayer, if God would have gotten me out of slavery, if God would have gotten me out of prison, salvation wouldn't have happened. God used all of this for good. And because he went through all of that pain and suffering, salvation happened. Now, if you know, if you're like me, I look at that and like, well, that sounds nice. It's a great story. I wish I could be confident that in my life, I wish I could be so confident that bad things like that is going to happen, like, happen that way. Here's the good news. If you are a Christian, if you're a Christian, it will. 
It absolutely will. Romans 8 says that, that he works out all things for good for those who love him. Jonathan Edwards, as an 18-year-old, um, he preached a message. And he said, if you're a Christian, the Bible says that bad things will turn out for your good, that good things will never be taken away, and the best things are yet to come. The bad things will turn out for your good. The good things can never be taken away, and the best things are yet to come. But it requires us to trust. Let me show you another couple of quotes from um, Elizabeth Elliot. Her uh, husband was, was killed in the act of being a, a missionary. And she said, the will of God is never exactly what you expect it to be. It may seem to be much worse, but in the end, it's going to be a lot better and a lot bigger. I'll, this next quote, I couldn't decide which one to use. So I'm use both. God is God. Because he is God, he is worthy of my trust and my obedience. It's like, all, just because he's God, just because he's powerful, that's enough. And she says, I will find rest nowhere but in his holy will that is unspeakably beyond my largest notions of what he's up to. The truth is, is we have no idea what God has in store. No, Paul, in other passages, says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard. No mind has even imagined the things that he has prepared for us. It's just beyond, no one could even think of these things. His power is at work in our future. The darkness inside of you, he's doing something about that. The darkness around you, he's doing something about that too. By the power of God, you can overcome sin. By the power of God, he is in control. He is putting everything under his feet. And here's what we need to believe, that every kind of darkness you face, whether it be in the world, whether it be your flesh, or it be the devil himself, is a small thing, is a small thing compared to his, pass, to his power. It's a passing thing. It's a temporary thing. God's power is infinitely greater. How, how can we be sure of this? And how can we be sure that his power is for us? Paul wrote two prayers in this letter to the Ephesians. And, th- and this one in Ephesians 1 is the first, uh, excuse me, the first prayer. And he wrote a second prayer, uh, two chapters to the right in Ephesians 3, which is a very similar prayer to this one. Uh, there's a lot that's similar about it with one uh, difference. Let me show you how it's the same. Let me show you how it's different. In verse 16 of chapter 3, he says that he may, gra- this is Paul's prayer. I, my prayer is that he may grant you to be strengthened with his power through the Spirit and his inner being. So he's, he wants you to know about his power. He's praying the same thing, except he adds this that you may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Paul says, here's how, you, here's how you experience and become to depend upon and rely upon and appreciate and know that you know that you know that God's power is for you. The way that we, have a, the way that we experience his power is not by meditating on his raw power. The way that we experience his power is by meditating on his love. We don't experience his power by meditating on his power. We experience his power by meditating on his love. And there's a place where the love of God and the power of God meet. And it's at the cross. Let me show you this. Romans, excuse me, Romans 5. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, you see, we're not seeking God. It's not when he did that. Christ died for us. God shows his love. He demonstrates his love. He puts his love on display. The cross, in other words, is a symbol of the love of God. 
but it's also a symbol, paradoxically, of the power of God. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Only one thing in the Bible is called the power of God. It's cross. That in the cross, we see the love of God and the power of God. Now, what's fascinating here is that when most people see a cross, they don't see power, they see weakness. In fact, if you read on in this chapter, uh, 1 Corinthians 1, um, Paul says the crucified Christ is, to, is foolishness. It's, it's a stumbling block. It's weakness. And in the eyes of the flesh, there is not a greater picture of helplessness than a man nailed to a cross. His arms and his legs are stretched out, and they are nailed to a cross. He is absolutely defenseless. I mean, you can go up there and... and poke them with the spear, and they did. You can hurl all kinds of insults and mock him and spit at him, and they did, and he couldn't say anything because he was suffocating. There's not a greater picture of helplessness than a man on a cross, but in Jesus' case, it was absolutely voluntary. Check out what he says in John 10. No one takes it from me that is my life, but I lay it down from my own, on my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from my father. You know, when he was in the garden too, uh, Peter takes out a sword, he cuts this guy's ear off, and he says, put away your sword. Don't you know that I could call down 12 legions of angels? 12, I mean, 80,000 angels? This guy has the authority and the ability just to bring a serious can (laughs) on all. He has the power and he has the authority, but he doesn't do it. And he goes to the cross and he becomes absolutely defenseless. Why does he do that? Love. He does it for love. Not love in this general way, but love in a very specific way. Love for you. Love for me. Love for every tribe in every tongue. When you get an experience of his love by the power of the Spirit, that you know that, that, he, that he loved you that much, that you had a death sentence, that the, that, that the chains of death had you permanently, and those chains were broken because Jesus left heaven, came to earth, became a sacrifice on the cross for the penalty of sin, and to break the power of sin, and one day will fully bring about your redemption and get rid of the presence of sin, that his power is at work in your past, that his power is at work in your present, and his power will be at work in your future. When you you get a revelation of that love, it will free you. You you'll, You'll have an experience of him that will eradicate fear, that'll eradicate worry, you see, you and I, we rely on our power. When we, think, when we take a look at our power, we look at our bank account, we look at our time, we look at our ability, we get all worried and anxious because we're not relying on God's power. We're relying on our power. We actually need to get our focus off ourselves and get back into, oh my gosh, the cross. Oh my gosh, what has he done for us? What has he done for me? It's amazing. I, I see that he did his powers at work in my, in my past. I would have never, ever, ever chose him. 
But the same power that raised Christ from the dead caused my dead heart to come alive. And is at work in me because I know that I have a first installment of the future that is to come. His Holy Spirit lives in me. I'm not going to settle. I'm not going to settle for a job. I'm not going to settle for this. I'm going to sell. I'm going to, I'm going to believe who God says. I'm going to be childlike in what he says I can be. I can fight sin. I can fight the darkness in me. And I have full confidence that he is fighting, fighting the darkness around me. And he's fighting the ultimate darkness, death. His power is unlimited. His power is at work for you and for me. Why don't we stand? A couple ways we can apply this, of course, rely on his power. Learn to rely on his power. See fear go away. See anxiousness go away. See worry go away. We can also follow his example and learn to give away our power. You see, we like to keep power close because it, it makes us feel comfortable. So that's why we hang around people who are like us, who think like us, who act like us, who vote like us, who everything else like us. It makes us feel secure. It makes us feel powerful. We keep money around us. Money makes us feel powerful. Jesus gave away his power. Paul was not afraid to give away his power either. In fact, he said that when I am the weakest, that is when I'm the strongest because his, my weakness, God's power is perfected in me. Being in a, being, letting go of your power is a good place to be because the power of God comes alive in you. It's a good thing to make it a practice. Whatever power you have to learn to give, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna bring power to myself. I'm gonna let it go. I'm gonna be generous. I'm not gonna always have to have my way. I'm gonna defer to other people. I'm gonna count other people as more significant. I'm gonna, I'm gonna forgive. I'm gonna repent. Let go of your power. I believe God wants to create us, wants to create individuals that are just robust and confident, not because of the circumstances, but because they're relying on a power, a power that had the ability to raise a dead man to life. Is it working us? That we become childlike in our faith and the power of God in us and for us and make us into a community that doesn't fear that doesn't worry, that isn't offended, that forgives, that loves, that lets go, that's generous, that welcomes all different kinds of people. It's a light, it's salt, it's, it's a display. We've got to hold fast to him. If we hold fast to him, it says that we will pop out like lights in a crooked generation. God, I pray that you make us robust individuals that rely on your power. God, I pray you make us a community that relies on your power. Jesus, you left heaven and earth to come. To take the form of a servant. To come obedient to death, even death on a cross, for me, 